On this special feature of the Cricket Blog Podcast, we will focus on fantasy cricket ahead of the IPL. And who better to join us than this very special guest? He's a journalist, freelance writer, fantasy cricket expert, and a terrific cricket fan. I've had the pleasure to interact with him over the last couple of years. It's so great to have the chance to speak to you, Nikhil Popat from, or AKA Crick Crazy Nicks. Welcome to the Crick Blog Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I think I'll just focus on the terrible cricket fan. That is all that defines me, and I'll want to say to that. I mean, we have we have seen we have all seen the work that you do on Twitter, and you know you've worked with Sports Interactive as well for a few years now. So it's yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Um, but before we actually move on into fantasy cricket, we'll just first touch on your cricketing journey. I mean, as an Indian, okay. where did your love for the sport start, and you know what what's your first moment that you remember? Uh, so I think it's a very interesting start and something that will uh, uh, join a lot of dots. Uh, I started in a very congested, uh, in a very congested family, and we were twelve people in a room, and we didn't have televisions for about each one of us, obviously. So there was only a fixed time when you could see TV. So I could not catch up on any sport or any event. So all that I had was newspapers. So, but luckily we had a TV showroom next to our house. So what I do is I rush from my school and just sit there in front of that shop and just watch whatever I could because uh, then the day nighters you used to start at seven, so you could catch up the second innings pretty much entirely. So uh, that is when the uh, connection started. Over that period of time, I uh, did not have a uh, good time making a new friends in school and college life. So I thought it is best if I can find something else, and I found cricket, and it is when I would. And then we had the internet boom, and then you had those Simeon phones where I would follow cricket for. And interestingly, I would do something that has brought the fantasy angle in my life. I would sit down and write every over prediction, and what was my uh, thought of it. So if say India is batting first, and you had Sehwag opening, I would for mm-hmm. sure know the first over would be eight for no loss or twelve for one. <laughs> yeah. So that's how. So that's how it began. You know, I would have intervals at one over, five or ten over. So that is it. Actually, when I got closer to the game, in terms of trying to, it was not for anybody else. It was just for myself and to get better at it. And thankfully, then we had Twitter, and then I got uh, an opening to do ball over commentary for a couple of years. And that is where, and the rest, as you all have been aware of now, from there. That that is a fantastic story. I mean, that's actually that awesome. um, yeah. That that is a fantastic story. Like what was your first um, experience with fantasy cricket, and what got you hooked onto it? Yeah. So uh, as I said, my first experience was ESPN Super Selector. Uh, I think a lot of us who got into fantasy cricket played a lot of Super Selector in the early days, and uh, mm. for some reason I found it a bit hard to crack because obviously there were a lot more nitty-gritties involved, which now. Having spent so much time into it, I realized that okay, it's not as easy as just taking yeah. a blunt punt every day. Yeah. There is a lot of yeah. math, matchup, numbers, everything involved, and yet there is no guarantee that you could win. So that is where it started for me. And then obviously you had the big uh, launch of Dream Eleven, who's then now the boss of the market, and uh, so that's where I started with it. And obviously I always had that prediction angle uh, with me, so which is why I found it very easy to relate, relate to it. And most importantly, it kept me busy. I had yeah. excuses to not go anywhere. I just had excuses to watch the match at home. That yeah. is all that I wanted. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And but before we move on to actually how you go about the fantasy cricket um, 
you can call it an industry right now um, in India and all around the world with IPL, CPL. For a, for a person like me who has absolutely zero experience of fantasy cricket, I've tried getting into it. I just, you know, I, my mind doesn't work like that. If you had to teach me fantasy cricket in five minutes, how, how does it work? So I'll just be, I'll keep it very simple. Uh, in an essence, fantasy cricket is all about how well you visualize the game. Now, and that is something each one of us do in, in each one's own way. Like I would particular, if there's a game, there's a particular flow of the game in my mind. There's a particular flow of the game in your mind. There will be certain players you will think will do well. There are certain players I will think will do well. Fantasy cricket is just putting all that on paper and then finding enough uh, belief and strength in that particular visualization so that if that thing pans out exactly as you have planned, then you're going to earn something out of that good visualization of yours. That is it. Like, it is as simply as I can put it to you that it's yeah. basically how well you know the game. That's it. Bottom line. Yeah, you've nailed it there. Um, now, just give us a quick overview of, of how quickly it has grown in India. I've seen exponential growth the last few years with fantasy cricket in India. Um, and, and how does it change the way you watch cricket? Yeah, it, it, it's been a very uh, interesting ride. Uh, as you say, uh, I said in the last couple of years, uh, once uh, Dreamland got the sponsor rights, you saw they were very big on ads and they got it to every, every household. And the thing with fantasy cricket in India is all this used to happen at uh, markets, at bus stalls, at any crowded place where you would have a discussion. And their discussions would be serious discussions and you don't want to mess into those kind of discussions. So what this has done is it's brought the game to that, uh, what you want to call a tier two, to tier three level cities as well, wherein people have always had interest, but they never knew that, you know, you could make a decent amount of money. Obviously you can lose a lot as well, but the very fact that you know, you could watch a game and also have some amount coming back to you just because of your understanding of the game. Why would anyone not try that? Yeah. And uh, obviously you touched on that you can lose money. So losses are a part of sport, you know, and even fantasy sports, obviously. So what is your tip in fantasy sport to dealing with these sort of losses, especially for those players who are getting into it, you know, just now and just starting their fantasy sports career? Yeah, I think it is, uh, as I uh, keep it say to myself, that it's very important to know what you're doing and be very yeah. honest with yourself. Uh, which is why I tell to a lot of people that be very aware of whatever you're doing because our minds are not always in our hands. I mean, not literally, but in terms of what we're thinking is very important. Great uh, point. Yeah. The first thing that comes to everybody's mind is, okay, I lost this because of bad luck. It was not bad luck. There is no bad luck. There is in the three things. Either you did not imagine the game rightly, or you took an unnecessary risk on a particular player, or three, it was a one-off performance by somebody who's known to put those performances. Now, if you are able to identify the crux of the problem, that why you are losing, you'll probably get better at it over a period of time. And it is important yeah. to give it time. Nothing comes to us easy. If it was easy, everybody would be a millionaire or billionaire just in like a month, month time. So, it's important to pick your games, to pick your players, know the patterns, and then get deep dive into it with enough smart investment plans as well. Now we have so many platforms. So it, it's important to know what will work best for you, what kind of player you are, and then accordingly get into it. 
apart from Dream Eleven, which is kind of the obvious, the bigger one, what are the other smaller platforms that you would recommend? I have one uh, I am closely associated with is uh, Fan to Play. Uh, yeah. There you get a there you get an all round an option of playing with five all rounders, which is not a very common uh, option, and you can play with only two batsmen or two bowlers. So if it's a series like Sri Lanka, South Africa, you're not going to need batsmen. You're going to need more all rounders and more bowlers. So that is one place to be. There is another platform that I'm going to soon bring up, so that this becomes a good plug for me. That please watch out. I'm going to. Bring another, introduce you guys, everyone, to another platform where it is easier to win comparatively because of the less competition, but it's also a great place to play the fancy cricket game. Fantastic. Um, now, looking forward to seeing uh, that. Um, yeah. Now, in terms of your preparation, um, what's your preparation like uh, before you put together your Fantasy 11? Um, you know, give the, you know, the listeners, the viewers sort of a, an insight into the important things to look for as part of your research. You know, you talk about how important research is um, in terms of putting a fancy element together, but what are the kind of things that you research uh, and to give yourself the best possible chance of putting together a strong team and winning? And especially the unnecessary risk that you spoke about earlier. Can you also just give us an example of that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a dig at my, my own uh experiences yeah so yeah. firstly what i what i try and do is firstly i pick a game or a, a particular series obviously i can't watch every game that is possible i wish i could but uh, i try and cover most games that i'm sure that i'm going to watch because uh, you can't just make teams based on scorecards you're never going to know what actually happened in that mm-hmm. game somebody could play somebody could make an 88 with a lot of close MW calls, catches being dropped, and the scorecard will tell you that 88, oh, that's a great now. You should pick him the next game, but that's not the case. Similarly, a guy could take Pfeiffer and not be David Vise and just take jungle kids at the death. So you have to be very sure in terms of that, yes, you're going to be able to watch the game so that you can make these small, small notes in terms of, yes, who bowled well, who bowled bad. Now, if it's a pre match like the series that hasn't started yet, what I generally try and do is obviously, having picked my series, I pick the eight to nine players who I'm very sure that, yes, they will perform. And now that how they will perform is based on numbers and based on my experience of watching them. That, okay, let's take the example of Sri Lanka, South Africa. Now, I know Quinton de Kock, Riza Henry, Gijanimun Malan, these guys are going to be sure starters in the team and they are likely to do the bulk of the scoring for South Africa. Also, I know, yes, Van Persson is a good guy, but there are preferences for each players. When I start into this homework for a particular series, I get I look at stats of every player that is played. And then, obviously, if you see those enough, you'll find there are some very obvious patterns for each player. Like, RVD doesn't get to bat often if he's chasing. Yeah. Now, yeah. most of the times, the top three is going to do the work for South Africa. If not, RVD is going to probably left to do too much of it. So, these all scenarios, visualizations are what the data is going to help you with. So, those are the notes that I try and pick. That which bowler should I prefer in the first innings? Which bowler should I prefer in the second innings? I'll go back to the Sri Lanka South Africa example. So, Sri Lankan bowlers, I know if South Africa bat first, they are going to win the game. If not, if Sri Lanka don't put up a good score, there is no point taking any Sri Lankan bowlers. So, that is how you that is how I go about the game. That okay, these are the two scenarios. If A yeah. bats first, what are my lineup of players that I should try? If B is batting first, then what are the players? I'm going to try on. And this is the first thing. Now, once I'm done with this data, if a game is done, you will obviously have some clear patterns that, okay, 
Sri Lanka is losing the top order very early. Maybe pack the game with the middle of the options. So again, all of this is because you're watching the game. There are certain players who you know are definitely going to do well compared to the others. And now, because you're watching the game, you know that okay, this is the little edge I have. And this new players who come in, and which is why you go back to picking your series. That if there is an important domestic league or league, you would want to watch that because that's where you'll get to know what a Tikshan uh, is going to do, what a Shamshi can do before he broke on, broke into the scene, and now he's the number one bowler. So that all goes like this. It is simple: taking the list of players, finding patterns for each one of them. and then finding out what is the best possible scenario for that guy to perform mm. and obviously you're not going to get it right always but as long as you can get to a median where you know you're not too good or not too bad you'll obviously catch up with time in terms of getting the exact flow you have probably answered one of our fan questions that was asked by debashi sarangi at plum underscore in front he asks what is more essential while picking players in a fantasy team gut feel or logical analysis do you think it's a mixture of both Yeah, as I said, it's obviously rightly makes a mixture of both. But for some players, it doesn't apply. Like if it's if it's Kiran Pollard in a big match, you are just going to pick him. There is no way he's not going to do anything in a game. He could come in, he could bowl, he could bowl four overs in CPL. Anything can happen. But even otherwise, uh, we've seen some kind of like Shimran Hetman the last night. He did not look in the best of forms. He was not picked by men, but he ended up scoring a good amount of runs. Similarly, in the second innings, you data tells you that Evan Lewis and Chris Gale are better while chasing, and they both opened the batting and they both got good forty plus scores. So, the data will help, but there are times the data is not going to help, and that's when your gut feel, your knowledge of the game is going to come into picture. Where it, who do you think is going to get that guy? If the data says that okay, uh, maybe Cole is not going to do well in the second innings, but is there a bowler to trouble him? If not, then you have to go against the data and. If the data supports that you also feel strongly, then and then it's what you feel strongly about because you don't want to regret not trying. So I would rather try and fail rather than regretting. Hey, had I done this, this would have happened. In terms of like stats, do you, how often do you look at like head-to-head stats? You know, players against a particular opposition or a player at a particular ground. because um, the pitch is also very important, or how that pitch particularly plays in the past in terms of putting together a team. Yeah, as I said, uh, when I first uh, when I have my first look at the players, that's when I look at three things. First is if there is an innings preference for them, where yeah. do they prefer to do well? First teams or second? Sometimes I'm so stupid that I look at even toss uh, toss influences. Sometimes some players do better when they have uh, when they won the toss and they batted. For example, Mushfiqur Rahim, if his side has won the toss and is batted, he probably averages a bit more than say in chases. So sometimes it's not going to work. At the end, it is the data is in front of everyone, but how do you interpret it is what your gut feel and your knowledge of the game is going to come into picture. That how do you read that data? So one prime example is Shreyas Gopal versus Virat Kohli. It's a very talked about matchup, but how many people know that Gopal actually dismissed him when the game didn't matter? So even the big teams. Fall for these kind of numbers, which is strange to see because those numbers are not just there. You just have to go back into the context of it. That when were those wickets taken? What was the guy doing when he took those wickets? So, yes, that number is important, but you have to go back into that game and check. Okay, this was the situation. Maybe he got it in a clutch situation. Then yes, back that data again. But all this data is where I take it in the first uh, place, like uh, innings per uh, 
preferences if somebody does like to do better in those then i also look at a particular bowler who the guy has struggled say for example yeah. if rcb is playing srh i know sandeep sharma has struggled a lot of rcb top order guys so in one of my unnecessary risk kind of games i'll probably risk on dropping virat kohli in that game and make sandeep sharma my captain because then i'm backing one particular scenario to happen and obviously i can still pick both of them in my uh, regular safe kind of team but if i want to take that risk with data and gut feel i can go there if i see that no sandeep sharma is not bowling well is not going to get him out so that i'll have him in my team but i'll not make him captain or vice captain yeah. and then i'll go against the data and make kohli the captain so as you said all that data is important and at the end of the day what you feel strongly about in in terms of the scenario that's likely to happen that's who you go with what do you think are the key differences in both cpl and ipl in terms of fantasy cricket because uh, all rounders and bowlers have been brilliant in cpl but ipl do you think batsmen will have a bigger role to play in the ipl i think it's uh, it's it's not something that you can call out directly because and i would honestly not compare cpl to anything the kind of season that cpl has had you've stranger stupid things happen which you cannot comprehend you've had uh, forget even cpl even just take the sri lanka south africa series i'll tell my personal experience in the first game i make shamshi captain the guy bowls only two overs doesn't take the next game but this game i don't make him the captain yeah but others make him captain and he takes three wickets so mm. in the game yesterday i make him my vice captain and he takes no wickets <laughs> so, <laughs> there is always going to be that battle in terms of yeah. you can never be sure who's going to do well but what you're likely to do is so there's a smart way is how i've deciphered and still i sometimes fail at it that i probably go with a safer captain and then i go with a riskier vice captain so yeah. like in the yesterday cpl game i know the bowlers were going to do well but for some reason i felt no hetmeyer will do well and even lewis always does well in chases so i went mm-hmm. with the captain in even lewis because i trusted him to do well in chases is often than that both times his team has beaten guyana they've done well in chases and he's been the guy who's performed so there is a matchup there is data there is ground record yeah everything is working in favor of lewis so lewis is my captain now i could have simply gone with shefer because he's the guy in form and you know maybe they could have taken wicket but i was very sure that hetmeyer could be a differential guy today it's a big day he likes to perform so my punt pick was hetmeyer so even in a game that was dominated by bowlers i went with the batsman and i came out because there was enough logical uh, thinking behind why i went with those players so even like for bbl or any other league i think it's important to on that day realize and have a clear idea of what the pitch is going to be like if it's going to be a fair deck or unfair deck it is very uh, strange that we don't have accurate pitch reports these days and it is a sorry state of affairs but if former players and experts are not going to get it you and me stand no chance sitting far away from the wind absolutely so in, at the end it's always a hunch but as long as you have i work with data i i'm not blessed with enough gut and uh, you know blind talent that okay <laughs> this guy is going to do well today because that's how i lost a lot of money at the start of my career so now what i do is i rely on data more rely on patterns more because at the end i just want yes firstly my first step is to get what i put back and then if my points work there are some days that are going to make a fortune so that is those data that risk are for those kind of things and uh, just based on this 
how specific or how in-depth do you go when it comes to, let's say, for example, I'll give you an example in my question, actually. So let's say SRH is bowling second and, uh, you know, Tina Trajan has a poor record when he bowls uh, in the second innings in the final five overs. So is that, am I think, thinking too, in too deep or is, is this sort of thinking that you rely on? No, it is exactly the kind of thinking I rely on. Now, let's take your same again example. Now, you know SRH is going to bowl second. Firstly, you will know what, are the, what is the pitch like. Yeah. If, it, if it's the pitch is going to support SRS bowlers, then that's one thing that's going to go in Natarajan's favor. But if the pitch is not in the bowler's favor, you know RCB is probably going to put up a total that is too good uh, or SRH is not going to put up a total that's too good because of the batting that is there. So you have to see who's going to play. Now, they've dropped Warner, obviously speaking very practically. What are the chances of them getting 180 on a very good batting deck? You are going to need somebody to play a blinder. So, will they have enough score, firstly, to have Natarajit come into the game? Because if they don't score 180, Natarajit is probably going to be the last over. The game may not even go till then. So, as you said, it is the, the visualization is correct, but there are a lot more factors that we all obviously take into consideration yeah. that what are the pitches, who, who are the guys playing. If Besto, Warner, everybody's playing, then you know, okay, maybe they can get 140. If the pitch is going to help this uh, pacer or spinners, yes, you will want Natarajan in your team. Otherwise, what you are going to do is you are probably going to take a punt on a new ball bowler, hoping that you know they uh, win by not more than uh, like five six wickets, and you have the new ball bowler probably taking a couple of wickets. But will Natarajan bowl with the new ball? No, you are not sure. So that is how it is as deep as you said. But as you directly talked about right now, that there are a lot more factors that decide. How much that guy is going to eventually come into the game? Yeah. Another question by one of our listeners again at Robin underscore rounder. What's a good investment strategy in fantasy cricket? So it's uh, I think it is probably one of the biggest reasons why a lot of us, and including myself, we end up losing money that make because we don't think seriously about our investment. Not every game you're going to be able to predict the right flow. So what I've tried to do from my past experiences, I divide games into three categories. A category where I'm very sure about the game. B, where I'm not sure what is going to happen because there are too many good players that I might have to drop somebody. And the C is like a CPL scenario. Where every team is playing with 10 bowlers. You're not going to know who's going to bowl for. Somebody can bowl five if the rules permit. So <laughs> in those games, I'm going to concentrate only on grand leagues. So my investment will be the least in that type C game. It will be more in B and it will be highest in A, which is why I invest the most in test cricket. Because I know that my brain is going to comprehend what is going to happen far more easily in test cricket than I'm going to be able to predict a T20 game. So, which is why I back uh, all my instincts in cricket uh, in test matches. Like I have. I was very happy with the England uh, game series because in all three games, I had very unusual captains. I had James Anderson in one game. I had Shardul Thakur in one game. Oh, I had Chris nice. Wokes in one game. Nice. But again, the logic, there was proper logic behind it because James Anderson always does well, always does well at Lords. He's yeah. taken the most wickets at Lords. So yeah. there is data. And you know, in the first game, there is likely to be a 4-5 wicket chance any which way to James Anderson. So you go with that. Then you know Shahdul Thakur is going to play a crucial role because of the form that Jadeja and the people up and down of him are going to do. 
So obviously it is a risk. But then my vice captain was Shahrukh. How about captain was again James Anderson? Continued to bowl well. I got good rewards. And then the investment strategy is such that whenever I'm taking such risk, those risks will be put in a different kind of leagues. If I'm playing a safe kind of a league, a safe kind of contest, my bet is going to be on Juru because he's a common captain. Yeah. So when you're making a safe kind of a contest or a league, you have to be very sure that who you're going to face. Yeah. The guy is likely to bring root as his captain. So you don't want to look stupid if you don't take root and you, he ends up scoring 100 and you are like 500 points behind him. It puts you out of the competition straight away. But the yeah. same risk you can do in a higher risk, higher reward kind of contest where you're saying that, okay, root can score 100. But I think this guy would probably give more points than root. And he's not going to be picked by a lot more people. So then my investment in that particular kind of contest is different. And all of this works differently for different people in terms of somebody, some kind of players or some who can easily make a safe team. So they invest more in safe kind of things. Some people like to take those risks. Some people don't want to play with a safe team because they want to be huge, massive amount. So they play different kind of things and you have to invest differently. So to uh, summarize, there is no uh, sound or a safe investment strategy. It's upon two things. It's how you want to play in terms of do you want to play safe or risky and what is the return that you're expecting from that particular game in terms of your flow. If it happens as you've planned out, are you going to get a good return? Okay, then yes, you should probably invest more. If you're not going to get as you expected, and you think things can go uh, the other way, you would probably want to lesser your investment yeah. or invest in different kind of things. So it's kind of a homework that you have to do yourself for what yeah. works best for you. Mm. But like these are the pointers that can help you with that regard. Spot on. Great insights, um, great strategies. Um, coming up, the, the IPL starts in a few days. Just feels like the cricket's all on top of each other at the moment. But yeah. um, what are some key, you know, uh, player battles that you're looking to, you're looking forward to in the IPL? Any, you know, key players to watch out for from a fancy perspective? Uh, I think the, uh, the interesting ones will be the replacements who've come in, in yeah. terms of what roles they are going to play. Like for somebody like Rajasthan. Uh, you know, Lewis has been in very good form with the CPL and he's played on similar kind of tracks. So yep. he's going to be a key man if Rajasthan finds a way to play him in the 11. And the one thing that you can compare, uh, feel safer about in the IPL is there aren't too many surprises. Like say for CPL, you see somebody coming up the order, narrates, batting position is never sure. But in the IPL, you can actually predict the flow of the game in terms of who's going to do what in what kind of a role. Yeah. So, somebody like a Sam Curran, you know that guy is going to go at the death. So, you have to be smart enough in terms of, okay, do you think that guy is going to pick up Jungle Wickets at the death? If yes, please go and uh, take him on. Somebody like a Chris Morris often does that role. Now, Kagiso Rabada has not been among the wickets for the last two series that South Africa have played. How good he's going to feel about himself when he comes into the IPL, when he knows that, okay, again, trainers might do the bulk of the bowling here again. So, what role is going to play? Who is going to play against? So all these matchups are going to be key again because there are going to be a lot of changes because of the replacements that are going to come in. So now you don't know if Steve Smith will still play. Shreyas Iyer is fit. So probably he'll come up the order at three. So yeah. And all these replacements change small things, but they have a crucial impact of where a particular guy is going to come into the picture. Say, KKR is a nightmare team to predict. Because you are never sure who is going to bat well. They're probably the CPL so team. True. 
they're probably the CPL team of K- this. KKR uh, yeah. is probably a nightmare team to support as well. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had so much, uh, you know, discussions with even Jared online in terms of what is KKR doing? How are they trying to function as a T20 side? And sometimes you think, you know, they the, look game, lost. the game. Yeah. yeah, and the game makes you look stupid if it works out. But we've seen the same with Oval Invincibles, how they played uh, in the 100. In terms of how Morgan's uh, leadership was, yes, it's worked for England in the 50-year format. But just maybe, maybe it's not what the uh, Kolkata Knight Riders want. I mean, do you have a guy, a lead Indian spinner saying that, I don't know how Morgan sees me. Yeah. Obviously, that quote could have a different meaning, could have a lot more context to it. But just that coming out tells you that there is something wrong and obviously there will be some holes that the team management will want to fill yeah. very uh, early. We also have another question on the IPL with, by one of our listeners um, at John Prabhukesha. Unlike CPL, choosing batsmen as captain or vice captain in the IPL, how effective would it be or will that be a risk? So as we say, uh, every team is going to have a different kind of uh, pattern in terms of who are likely to give most points from that team. If SRH is playing, you know, probably someone like a Rashid Khan is probably likely to give you more points than any of their batsmen. So, yeah. you have to go team-wise and pick out the key players for them who's going to do the key role for them. And then you, on that day, see what's the matchup. And if numbers suggest that, yes, this guy could do it, then you will probably just go with that. And it doesn't matter who the batsman or bowler or runner does. At the end, who is the like? Who's the guy who's likely to do the best on that particular surface against that particular team? And it can be anyone, and then you just back them. Yeah. Yep. Um, before we finish, keeping time in mind, quick top four prediction for the IPL. You know, you you knew that question was coming. First is easy. I don't think KK will finish in top four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, may, hopefully, David Warner plays and he tells them why they should not have dropped it. So that's two. Uh, third, I don't think Mumbai or Chennai might win the IPL. And the last is hopefully a new winner in RCB so that people can stop asking Kohli to win a trophy. So that agenda drops. We could see a new champion this year. And then, could be the year. And the key, yeah, and the key reason for RCB is because for the first time, in a long, long, long time, they've made very good purchases in terms of replacements. Agreed. So they've, they've taken guys in form. And it's very rare for RCB to do that. So hopefully, I've not and, put the markers on that. Yeah, yeah and, and, the, and those and those players can play a very important role yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's very actually true. staying on the topic of RCB. The uh, there's a question which I've seen a lot on Twitter, and it, it's divided all the fa- most of the fans. Hasaranga or Tim David? Which one do you go with? As as let's say as a fantasy player, if you want to pick one of them. Hasaranga, always. Because to me, RCB's problem has never been batting. They've always had enough guys to bat around. And now, especially with the form of Maxwell, like for a, after a fortune long time, he's finally found some form with the bat. The way now that team is structured, you see everything is not getting enough time to bat. Yeah. So if that is the batting order, and you have youngsters in particle and guys coming off, you're not probably going to need Tim David. Yes, you can use him in particular matches on a very flat deck. Yes, you can use Tim David given that Hasaranga has not been giving runs with the bat. So, that is particular a matchup that I think sure the team management will look into. That if the pitch is supporting spinners, you'll probably want to go with Hasaranga. That, yes, he could give you that edge and also some runs with the bat. But if it's a flat deck and you think that, no, you might want some extra runs to ensure Kohli 
and uh, Padipal and Ed Maxwell just fire at the top, then you'll probably want to go to Tim Daly. You would probably bank on a batting lineup like that. You would probably bank on the top yeah. four or five to do all the job. Especially, especially on a flat pitch. Yeah. Um, just another, just one question before we finish. You touched on Kagisa Rabada earlier. Now, what would be your thought process going into the IPL? He hasn't taken a lot of wickets in recent series, but he was the top wicket taker last year yeah. in the UAE. So what's your thought process there in terms of do you pick him in a team or not? So as I said, um, it is always going to be about who he's going to face against. Yeah. Last year we saw Mumbai take him apart at the death. Hadid Pandya and guys just blasted him and knock him. So those are the guys who love face. So we have, we have to be very sure in terms of who is going to bowl against and whether those guys whether those guys enjoy pace. If they don't, just close your eyes and make him captain if he's bowling first. Because he's for sure going to bowl you two at the top or one at the top and then three at the back end. Yep. So if the guys are not good, if the middle order is not good against pace, high end bowling, hard leg bowling, then you would probably want to back Rabada because he's likely to give you at least two wickets, which is far more safer than banking on a cap or a guy who could just get out on a duck. And you could That's just very be true. Very true. Great insight. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun yeah. in this interview. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Thank you for coming I on. I actually learned about us... fantasy sport uh, more in these 30, 35 minutes yeah. than I did since I started Brilliant. trying to learn about it. <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> insights. Thank you so much, Nikhil. Um, all the best with everything you do and um, enjoy thank the IPO so and thank you again for joining yes. us. Thank you. Please continue this good one. I'd love to be back sometime. Yes. Yeah. Thank you.